Welcome to the Grace Life Fellowship Podcast. We have a special couple of episodes for you this week featuring our good friend, Dr. Andrew Farley. Dr. Farley is a pastor, best-selling author, and a radio show host. His latest book is called Twisted Scripture, and he shared a little bit from it this past Sunday here at Grace Life, which we're gonna share with you in a minute. He also sat down with Jesse and Tim for a special edition of Conversations in Grace, which we'll share with you this coming Friday. Okay, here's Dr. Farley. Good morning. Great to be with you again. One of my favorite places to be is Grace Life, so I'm excited to be with you. And why don't we open with a word of prayer together? Father, we thank you for today. We just ask that uh, by your spirit and by your word that you would minister to us in a powerful way today. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you may have noticed in your bulletin and up on the screen, there's a true-false quiz that I'm going to start with today. Five questions that come from uh, my latest book, Twisted Scripture. And so we have a true-false quiz. The first question is, God predestined some to believe in him. The second question, God forgives us each time we sin. The third question, we're saved by Jesus' death on the cross. And the fourth question, we get closer to God over time. And lastly, the Holy Spirit keeps us from sins we desire. Now, all of these are false. All of these are false for a very biblical reason that we'll see this morning. So take just a minute to to peruse the questions and see whether you might agree or disagree. And now we're going to take a plunge, a deep dive into God's word and see what he has to say about us and to us this morning because the truth always sets us free. And while there may be some partial truths on this screen right now, there is always a greater truth that sets us free. And that's what we're going to see today. So first, the idea that God predestines some people to believe in him. If you have not heard of this yet, it's the idea that God went down the city street and he said, heaven for you and hell for you and heaven for you and hell for you, predetermining that certain people would believe while other people have no chance. Now, there's a few issues with that. First of all, how would you know you're picked? And you say, well, I feel picked. But that's Monday and Tuesday rolls around. You're not feeling so picked anymore. How do you know you're picked? No assurance, no security in Christ, never really knowing for sure if you're picked until you hit heaven. Because boy, I think I'm picked, but maybe I'm not. It's God's random choice up in heaven. Second, if certain people are picked anyway, let's shut down all missions, not worry about anything, sharing the grace of God because, well, it's all fate, right? Just like Plato and Socrates debated, maybe you studied them in your philosophy course, but there was a big debate over fate and free will. And if I pick up this apple and drop it, was that God's choice or mine? And we could go round and round. I remember my freshman year going round and round about fate and free will until everyone was exhausted. And now we're doing that today in the body of Christ, in the name of Jesus, we have taken the Plato and Socrates debate into the church and everybody is dividing over fate and free will. 
So this morning, we're going to look at a couple of books of the Bible, namely Romans and Ephesians, and ask, well, this is where the teaching of predestination comes from. So, Brother Paul, the apostle, what did you mean when you said there was a predestining? What's that all about? Well, first, we see in the book of Ephesians that Paul is using a particular pronoun. Now, going back to fifth grade grammar, a pronoun represents a person or a group of people, right? And here we see this pronoun us or we. Now, remember that Paul is a Jewish person and he is writing non-Jewish people. And so when he says we in this letter, He's referring to himself and his Jewish friends. Now notice he says, God chose us, talking about the Jews. Is that any secret? No, God had chosen Israel and that's common knowledge. He predestined us. Is that any, any you know, uncommon knowledge? Of course, God chose and predestined Israel and Messiah came through Israel, no big deal. Then he says, we were the first to hope in Christ. That too is a no-brainer. The gospel was preached in Jerusalem and then it exploded outward to other nations. He says, like the rest, we too were in need of this gospel. Like the Gentiles, we Jews also needed it. All of us also needed this gospel message. Then you'll notice as he continues, he switches to you. He says, you also were included. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Ephesians. He's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to non-Jews. And he has a huge news flash. I met Jesus on a road and he told me to go minister to you also, not just my Jewish friends, but the Gentiles, those dirty, rotten Gentiles. And that means most of us, by the way, no offense, but they looked at Gentiles as second-class citizens on planet Earth. What is Brother Paul doing? And that is exactly why in the Bible, Paul goes on for chapters in Ephesians and chapters in Romans. You know what he's doing? He's defending his job. He's defending his job out on the road, ministering to Gentiles, and that is the true meaning of predestination, that not just we Jews were chosen, but even you Gentiles were also included, and this gospel message is for whosoever wills. And so he says, as for you, you were dead, you who are Gentiles, you were separate, you were far away, And I've written this for the sake of you Gentiles. And he says he made the two groups one, Jews and Gentiles brought together in Christ to reconcile both of them. What are the two groups? Jews and Gentiles merged in Jesus. Peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles. Peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. Through him, we both have access to God. And so if you've ever wondered about what the true meaning of predestination is, it is not about individual selection as God goes down the city street saying to heaven with you and to hell with you. No, that is not predestination. It is not about individuals. It is about the group called Gentiles and the group called Jews. And God had a secret plan to bring them all together. And that plan is in the Old Testament. 
I will call a people who are not my people, my people. And yet the Jews, when they read it, they had blinders on. They couldn't see it. Abraham was called the father of many nations, and they still couldn't see the predestined plan. And so we see as a result... Gentiles are saved. You are no longer foreigners, Ephesians 2.14. You are built together, Ephesians 2.16, and Gentiles are heirs with Israel. So you're saying, well, wait a minute. What about Romans? I mean, that's Ephesians. I get it. Two groups into one predestined plan, but certainly Romans. I mean, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, right? Well, Jacob represents Israel, and Esau represents Gentiles. And he could have hated them both. He could have loved them both. He could have hated one and loved the other. Paul's saying God gets to do what he wants, and guess what he did? He made a controversial move in bringing Gentiles to the table, even when the Jews despised it. What he is saying is, I am God and you are not. I called the shots back then and I call the shots today. If I want to take vessels of mercy, I'm the potter. If I want to take vessels of mercy, that's Israel. And if I want to take vessels of wrath that are, dis- that are, that are prepared for destruction and I want to save both of those, then that is my business. I'll make the call. I am the Lord God. And so we celebrate the sovereignty of God, not in randomly choosing individuals, but we celebrate the sovereignty of God in making a controversial choice to include us, non-Israelites, non-Jews, in the family of God. And that is the true meaning of predestination. Here it is in Romans Not only from the Jews, verse 24, but also from the Gentiles. I will call them my people who are not my people, verse 25. And finally, the culmination, anytime the Apostle Paul says, what shall we say then? That's when you listen in real close. He's waving a red flag of concern saying, here's my conclusion. And you know what Paul says in Romans 9.30? What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue God, who did not chase after God, who weren't even looking for God, well, they found righteousness in Jesus. And that is the incredible, explosive newsflash that the Apostle Paul had for the early church. Whoa, Jews and Gentiles becoming one in Christ. So there's some great news there. Here it is. God is not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Friends, that is real. The heart of God exposed that God, well, he desires that all men be saved. 1 Timothy 2. Do you see? The gospel has been unleashed all over the planet, and we don't have to explain around these passages or tuck them under the carpet. We can say, whoa, that is my God my God who has a soft heart toward the whole planet. We hold up the poster in the football games for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that whosoever believes in him, right? We see this in Romans 10 as well. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So is God picking certain people? I don't think so. 
I believe the call to believe and the warning to not harden your heart, that's real for anyone and everyone. Next, we see the idea that God forgives us each time we sin. It's like paying something off, you know, in installments. So he forgives you a little on Monday, and then he forgives you a little on Tuesday and a little on Wednesday. And if you believe that right now, we're asking you to just challenge that thought because that is a forgiveness that is less powerful than the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament. At least, as a Jewish person, under the law, they got 365 days of forgiveness in something called the Day of Atonement, a whole year worth of sins covered in one moment as the blood of bulls and goats was shed. Now I ask you this morning, how much more has Jesus Christ cleansed you once for all? Is not the blood of Jesus more powerful than the blood of animals in the Old Testament? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says this, for by one offering he has perfected for all time, another translation says forever, those who are sanctified. You know what sanctified means? It means set apart, reserved for God, and that's what we are. We are saints. The word saints means sanctified ones. Any saint, any child of God, anyone who is set apart for God is a totally forgiven person. God is not forgiving us little by little. He refuses to do it that way. He is holding up the finished work of Jesus Christ, and he is telling us that we have been forgiven once, and it worked the first time, and it is for all time. So if you have ever wondered if you're safe and secure in Jesus, and if you have ever asked yourself, what if, about future sinning, what if I do this, and what about this, and what if this happens, and what if I, and what if I, the answer to that question is found in this verse. By one offering 2,000 years ago, he made you perfectly forgiven and perfectly cleansed for all time. That is why we are safe in Jesus. And so 1 John chapter 2 puts it this way, I am writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. You'll notice it's in past tense. We as believers, we are not people who might be forgiven or could be forgiven or will be forgiven someday. Every person who is in Christ is a totally forgiven person. You know why God had to do it this way? Well, first of all, it's just what Jesus did, period. His blood was so perfect. His sacrifice was so awesome. It's just what Jesus did, period. But secondly, think about the opposite. If it were up to you, to keep short accounts with God, which many people believe today, if it were up to you to stay forgiven and stay cleansed through a ritual that you do with your legal pad out, trying to remember all your sins, the sins of the week, the sins of the month, here comes communion, let the cup pass. If you haven't gotten cleansed yet, we're believing a lie. The lights dim, the elements are brought, people are weeping and crying and drudging up their past, and Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and we end up doing it in remembrance of me. It is not about us and what we are doing, it is about Jesus and what he did, the finished 
work of Jesus Christ. I write you because your sins have been forgiven. And so we lift that glass and we toast the finished work of Jesus and we drink and we say with him, it is finished. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, how many? All our sins. We just saw it in past tense. Now we see it in past tense plus the word all. How many times do we need to see it before we are going to jettison the old way of getting right progressively and hang on to the new way of being made right once for all? People will say, well, if I don't have to ask for forgiveness, if I don't have to beg and plead and hope and wait to be forgiven, then what are you saying? I mean, what should I do when I sin then? I mean, here's a crazy idea. Stop. I mean, it's not rocket science. Stop, turn from sin, stop stealing. Get a job, work with your hands, give to those in need. Pull a 180 in your attitude, but you're not gonna get more forgiven because you stop. Many people believe the lie that I'm forgiven of all my sins unless I sin. <laughs> I'm forgiven of all my sins unless I commit one. What kind of theology is that? We don't turn to get more forgiven. We turn because we have been made into the righteousness of God and sin does not work. Have you noticed your next door neighbor can sin left, right, and center and you have trouble making it work? You're different at the core. Lots of reasons to turn from sin. Getting more forgiveness is not one of them. 2 Peter 1 says this, after naming a bunch of awesome qualities, love and kindness and goodness, he says, if you lack these qualities, you have forgotten your purification from your former sins. In other words, you're thinking I'm the sum total of my past. Let me see, three years ago, I did something awful. 10 years ago, even worse. And I begin to think of myself as my sin resume, myself as my sin track record. And then how am I gonna display godly qualities? I mean, you're going to act like whoever you believe you are, right? And so if you believe that you're a dirty, rotten sinner, dirty and distant from God, trying to stay cleansed repetitively, then you're going to act like a dirty, rotten sinner who's distant from God trying to get clean. Or you can believe... I am the righteousness of God. I am made right by one offering. God is, has made me perfectly cleansed no matter what. And then I sit back in the midst of that freedom, in the midst of that forgiveness, and I say, now what? And when I say, now what? When I finally get to that place of freedom, nobody's looking, nobody can see. It's just me and God, and I say, now what? His spirit bears witness with my spirit. And I start to discover I don't really want to sin. Whoa. All right, number three, also false. You're saved by Jesus' death on the cross. Let me tell you, the word of the cross is awesome. Paul brags on the cross. We love the cross here at Grace Life. The cross of Jesus Christ is incredible. There would be no gospel without a cross but there's more to the story, isn't there? 
We got to move from Friday to Sunday. We got to move from day one to day three. We got to see that it is not merely the cross that brings us salvation, but it is what Jesus did in coming up out of that tomb. You are not born again from the cross. You are born again from the resurrection. You are not made new from the death of Jesus. You are made new from the life of Jesus. And so Romans chapter five says this, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, that's what his death did. His death reconciled us. There was a bookkeeping issue. There was a distance issue. We're brought near through the death. There's a canceling of our sins, a forgiveness that occurs, but you are not a forgiven dead person. You are alive in Christ. If you have received him, you have received his resurrection life fused to your life. He has become your life. And so he says, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by what? Saved by his life. The death, so necessary. It accomplished reconciliation, but the life is what saves us. For if the dead are not raised, then guess what? Christ has not been raised. And Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. What a total waste of time Christianity is if he has not been raised. You are still in your sins if he has not been raised. You know, we talk about people like, have you heard about so-and-so? Yeah, uh, they're a Christian, but... uh, they're living in sin. Really? No, they're living in Christ. They are no longer dead in their sins. They may be sinning, but they're no longer dead and they're no longer in their sins. And my friend, that is why they are miserable at the core. And so he tells us here that there's something incredible. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless you are still in your sins. We put crosses around our necks and we celebrate the cross with jewelry and and something on the wall in churches and we love the cross. But after the service, I have open tomb jewelry for sale in a van outside. (laughs) Give you a deal, a sweet deal. No, but we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus at Easter and we make a big deal of it with all the pomp and circumstance, and we all come together and say, he is risen. And then we forget that the only reason we're new creations is because we're merged with him. The only reason we are believers born again is because his resurrection life has been infused inside of us so that we could be people of his possession. Look at this, baptism saves you, Peter says. But he doesn't want you to think it's water baptism. So he says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, whenever I think of a conscience and my clean conscience before God, I always go back to the blood, don't you? The blood of Jesus brings me a clean conscience, a good conscience. But Peter, Peter's saying something else here. You're not just cleansed of unrighteousness. You're totally righteous. There's a big difference there. 
I mean, when you come to Christ, he is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you were a negative 10, that would take you from a negative 10 to zero. You would be neutral before God, cleansed of all unrighteousness. But God takes it further. He takes you from zero to a positive 10. He calls you a slave of righteousness. He calls you the righteousness of God. And so what Peter is saying here is your conscience, you don't have to play games with the past. Well, I I, I mean, not that many people got hurt and it wasn't a big deal. I only did it one time and, you know, uh, I'm sure that I'm forgiven. I mean, that is piddly. What he wants to, to see is that we're not defined by that at all. We're defined by the resurrection life of Christ. We're off the charts, righteous. Scale of one to 10, we're an 11. There is no accuser from heaven. The accuser is like a whiny trial lawyer, but the trial is over. There's no punishment left. We're totally free from condemnation, and he's off the charts in favor of us and thinks the world of us. So we're asking, am I forgiven? Am I forgiven? Am I forgiven? And we're asking the wrong questions. That's a baby question. That's a baby question. Am I forgiven? The question I need to be asking is, how righteous am I? How clean, how close, how fused? You say I'm united, teach me what that means. I want the word of righteousness. That's an adult question. Move on from the idea of being purified by the work of Christ. Friday is incredible, but graduate to Sunday. Day one is awesome, but live in the reality of day three. Ephesians chapter 2, you'll notice he says, by grace you've been saved. So what's the topic? Salvation. Now look how you're saved. He made us, I love this, two words, alive together with Christ. He didn't just say, I made you alive and I'll see you in heaven. He said, I made you alive and I put you together with me, oneness, and I raised you up with Jesus. All right, number four. You can see why this is false, can't you? Given our union with Jesus that we just talked about, we get closer to God over time. Friends, this is a big one for us today. We can say, oh, finished work of Christ, cross, resurrection, awesome. I believe it, I receive it, I'm in agreement. We can say all that stuff. And then 28 minutes later, we're listening to Christian radio or we pop on Christian TV and they're talking about your walk. And they say, how's your walk? Are you close with God today? What could you do to be closer? And so we imagine ourselves inching closer to God through quiet time and Bible study and witnessing and church attendance. We're slowly going to get closer to him. And you know what? There are religions all over the world believing the same thing. They've got a different set of steps. They've got a different system. They've got a different God And yet they're still believing the human notion that he's over here and I'll see him in heaven. But in the meantime, I'm trying to walk toward him and get closer. And the truth is so much greater. It is beautiful. On day one, moment one that you are in Christ, you are as close to God as you will ever be. 
Yes, we are doing some learning. Man, I have got a lot to learn. I mess up all the time. My thoughts about God are not always lining up. I'm getting the renewing of the mind. I'm learning and growing, but my proximity to God is not changing. My geography is not in process. He took me out of Adam and he placed me in Christ. And that is permanent and that is perfect. John chapter 17, Jesus prays for this. How many of you think Jesus' prayers get answered? (laughs) We might doubt if our prayers get answered, but how about Jesus? Well, we're quick to say his prayers get answered. Look at this, John 17, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. One of the rare times in the Bible that the Trinity is speaking and calls themselves us. I love it. Back in creation, we will make man in our own image. We, and then here in this union passage, he says that they may be in us. So that the world may believe that you sent me, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. We're always trying to give God the glory, right? And that's awesome. I just don't think he needs any more. You know, the football player spikes the ball, glory to God. I mean, God may love football, and I I think he does, especially LSU football. But, But he doesn't need any more glory. In fact, he seems to be the glory giver here, not the glory taker. He's the glory giver. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. So I ask you this morning, consider this. How close is your Jesus? Have you pictured a Jesus that you're inching toward? Have you pictured a God that is up there in heaven while you're down here trying to make your way toward him? Or do you see what Jesus has prayed for and that his prayer was answered and that you are one just as Jesus and the Father are one? That is close. Just beneath your skin and bones and everything that you've called you, there's a place where God resides. It's like the Holy of Holies. You're one with him and you're sealed in the Holy Spirit and he'll never leave you. Yes, we mess up big time, but we don't never leave him behind. If we're going to choose to mess up big time, we have to do it while we're merged and fused with him, united forever. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, he took you in Christ and crucified you, then guess what? He didn't leave you in the tomb. He took you in Christ and raised you up. You got a heart surgery. You got a DNA swap. He crossed your heart. (laughs) You hoped to die. He crossed your heart, taking your heart to the cross. You hoped to die, and that is exactly what salvation is. We say, born again, born again, born again. How'd you get that way? You died first. You died so that you could be born again. You're in him, united with him. 1 Corinthians 6, I love this. It says, do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her. Ooh, what an image. Paul, but he's writing Corinth, and they know all about this. This is not news. But he says, the two shall become one flesh. But guess what? The one who joins himself to the Lord, one spirit with him. 
He uses intimacy as a picture of how close we are to Jesus so that we will get it through our thick heads exactly how awesome it is to be united with Christ. All right, lastly, the Holy Spirit keeps us from sins we desire. Man, that sounds respectful of him, and that sounds truthful at first, but do you know that you're on the same team with the Holy Spirit? That he's not tugging and pulling at you, trying to get you over here in obedience when you really want to be in disobedience. And many people, well, we interpret this verse backwards. Check it out. Galatians chapter 5. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. So flesh and spirit are fighting. And then there's this curious phrase. It says they're opposites of each other. And then it says so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, I love this because here's a confused Christian going, okay, there's flesh and there's spirit, and there's spirit and there's flesh, and then there's me in the middle, and these guys are fighting each other so that I don't do what I please, and the young Christian, we're asking ourselves, well, what do I please? Which team am I on? I can't figure out who's fighting on my behalf. Is it me in the flesh? and the Holy Spirit's trying to get me over here? Or is it me and the Spirit and the flesh is trying to get me over there in my attitudes? Which team am I on? And so we learn from Paul's writings that he had a certain idea in mind. What he's saying is the flesh pulls at us, the world system, the old attitudes, the old way to do things is always there. We, we're in Christ, but we can hear the noise from Adam. We were in Adam, we were transferred into Christ, and yet there's noise, isn't there? You can change the station, but there's noise. And so we can think an old thought, we can act in an old action, we can take an old response, or we can recognize, just like the realtors say, location, location, location. I'm in Christ now, I've got new geography, and I'm going to think that way. We'll never be in Adam again. We're always in Christ. But have you noticed we can walk for a bit of time. We can walk the old way. We can think the old way. We could set the mind the old way. But what do we really want? That's the question. Is the Holy Spirit the only one keeping you from sin? Or do you want to stay away from sin for real? Look at this, 1 Peter 2.11. I urge you, as aliens, you're not from this place, as strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which, check it out, read it slowly, war against the soul. Whose team are you on? Yeah, but it sounds like me. I know, it's clever. Yeah, but it feels like me. I know, it's clever. It's clever, but it's not truth. It's persistent and it's loud. It's noisy, but it's not you. Don't judge a thought by how loud it is or by how frequent it is. It's not you if it's not right and righteous. Romans chapter 6, we'll finish with this. It says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. Do you believe that? 
You know, the, the worship leader is on stage at some point in your life. You're somewhere. He's strumming on his guitar. And he says that humble statement that we've all heard as the smoke is rising up from stage. He says, God. Did I say it right? God. We've got wicked, wicked hearts, Lord. And everybody says, amen. Agreeing in humility. But is that humility? Real humility is saying exactly what God has said about you despite your feelings, despite your temptations. What has God said about you? You don't have a wicked heart. You became obedient from the heart. You were a slave of sin. Check out this phrase. You were freed. And then what does it say? I love this. You are addicted to righteousness. You are a slave of righteousness. You're harnessed to it. You're connected to it. You can't get away from it. You can try to make sin work. You can try to be fulfilled. You can try to act like the guy next door, but you are addicted to righteousness. Do you know that's what salvation is? Fused with Jesus, addicted to righteousness. Do you see yourself as an addict? an addict of expressing Jesus, nothing else satisfies. What did we see today? It's all false. There's lies out there. Is God predestining a certain few to believe and everybody else has no choice? Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God forgives us each time we sin. That sounds like an awesome promise, but it falls short. He's not forgiving us progressively. We've been forgiven once for all. We're saved by Jesus' death. Oh, we need the cross of Christ. We need the cross, but we cannot be left in the tomb. It was the resurrection life of Jesus that saved you. You are one with him, and that means no more getting closer reading God's word is awesome, gathering at church is awesome, it's fellowship. It's community, it's encouragement, but you are the holy of holies. You are one with Jesus forever, as close as you can get. And it's not you and the Holy Spirit on different teams, him tugging at you. I wish she would, I wish she would come around. Gosh, she just wants to sin all the time. God wants you to know the counsel of the Holy Spirit is this. I'm bearing witness every moment, every second, every day. I want you to know you're not made for sin. This will get you nowhere. You're like me now. As he is, so also are we in this world. I want you to know what you really want. So here's the truth. God wants everyone to believe. He's forgiven us once for all. We're saved by Jesus' resurrection. We're one spirit with the Lord. We have obedient hearts and we're slaves of righteousness. Let's thank our God. Father, we thank you for the simple truth that sets us free. We don't want to be listening to lies. We want to hear the truth. Father, we thank you that it's never disappointing. It is so good and so rich and so encouraging and so helpful to know who you say we are. We esteem the work of Jesus. We agree that we're totally forgiven. And even more, we agree we're addicts. We're addicted to your righteousness, Father. We thank you for making that true. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that does it for today's message. Thanks for listening. 
Don't forget to check out Dr. Farley's latest book, Twisted Scripture, Untangling 45 Lies Christians Have Been Told. And again, he'll be back sitting down with Jesse and Tim this coming Friday for the next edition of Conversations in Grace. Okay, we'll see you then.